0: Our speaker for this hour is our brother Wayne Berger. <clears throat> Wayne uh, earned a, an associate's degree from Freed Hardeman University uh, sometime in the previous century. Um, he also holds a Bachelor of Arts in Bible and, and then a, uh, a, a Master of Biblical Studies from here at Bear Valley. He has published four books. He's been preaching since 1962 and currently preaches for the Conifer Church of Christ in the foothills uh, just west of of Denver here. Um, He's done extensive short-term mission work in uh, both Africa and the South Pacific. He is currently the director of student campaigns here for the the Bible Institute, and he's been an instructor here since 1991. Uh, Wayne is someone that I have have, uh, come to... um, love in my association with him going back to uh, years before I came to work for, the, for uh, the school here at Bear Valley and I appreciate so much his, his work ethic, his uh, study work ethic and uh, we are looking forward to a great lesson from this good brother today so Wayne come and preach the word
1: Thank you <clears throat> Thank you And Wayne I did turn it on Uh, I appreciate uh, the introduction. I appreciate the opportunity to get to come and be with you this afternoon and trust that our time together will be good. Uh, You know, there's something about mysterious that intrigues us, uh, especially if that has to do with uh, the afterlife. People are curious about what it's going to be like. Uh, what kind of body will I have? Where will we be? How old will I look? That really gets us. Uh, where, what, what are we going to be doing? Where are we going to do it? You know, we've got all kinds of questions about the afterlife. I'm going to operate this afternoon from, first off, the principle given in Deuteronomy 29.29. 29. That says... The secret things belong to God, and the things that are revealed belong to us. Now, when I get through this afternoon, you may have lots of questions that you haven't been answered. Uh, I'm going to say they're probably not answered in the Bible. But I'll also say this. I'm open to be taught. If I don't teach something that you know in Scripture about this subject, come let me know. I want to know more about it. But more than likely, what the situation is... We've got more questions about that than God gave answers in the book, and all we can do is say, hey, what does the book say, and what am I going to learn from that? The plan that I'd like to follow this afternoon is, I want to, my particular text is 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 49. 49. And what I want to do is kind of work through that passage, uh, kind of a commentary on discussing what the text says. And then when we finish going through that commentary aspect of that passage, then I want to draw some conclusions, uh, some applications, uh, some principles, and begin to kind of wrap up this message from that passage. Of course, my topic is the resurrected body. Now, in reality, there are two resurrections spoken of in 1 Corinthians 15. There's the resurrection of Christ, and then there's the general resurrection of everybody else. And in reality, that's the part we're going to look at, is the general resurrection that is spoken of of everybody being raised. Uh, actually, the word resurrection only appears four times in that chapter. Uh, chapter verse 12, verse 13, verse 21, and verse uh, 42. Uh, the primary word to describe uh, the resurrection is the word raised. It occurs 18 times in this chapter, along with the word raise. Uh, is there a time or two. Now, of course, the word resurrection uh, literally means, the Greek word means, to stand up again. And, of course, that's what this resurrection is all about. Uh, That's what we're looking forward to is, of course, uh, departing and coming back and being resurrected, standing up again. And as we look at this, we're going to try to see what is our resurrected body going to be like. Uh, We're not really talking so much in this session as others have with regard to the resurrection of Christ. What we're looking at is, uh, from verses 35 on, is the resurrection of all of us. It's the general resurrection that he's talking about. And so, if you have your Bibles, you'll be able to turn with us there. And I'm going to simply try to work through verses 35 through 49 and make some comments about each of those verses and then, uh, then draw some applications Uh, Of course, this context of 35 through 49 is preceded by a lot of information related to resurrection. Uh, Verses 1 through uh, 4 are the fundamental facts of the resurrection, fundamental facts of the gospel. And I thoroughly enjoyed Mark Hanstein's message last night when he connected all those passages about uh, Christ and the gospel and so on. And then verses 5 through 11. Uh, uh, Paul uh, basically talks about uh, giving evidence for the resurrection of Christ and proof that's there. Then in verses 12 through 19, he talks about uh, uh, the practical aspect, the importance of the resurrection. Where would we be without the resurrection? And uh, I understand uh, Wes Altry did a great job of that this morning. And then also, then you go from 20 to 28... Uh, where we're talking about uh, uh, some order of the resurrection and what's going to happen. Uh, first this, and then this, and so on. Uh, and then from verses 29 through 34, you have basically some uh, Paul's uh, re- practical application of this resurrection and what it's going to mean to him and what it's uh, some practical aspects of it. And then that leads us right down to our text. Which is 35 through 49. Let's notice what he says here. Uh, first off, verse 39: 35, but someone will say, "How are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come forth? Those are the two questions he's going to be answering. How are the dead raised, and with what body are they raised? He probably has that question, those two questions, because the Greeks believed in the, the soul would be resurrected, but not the body. And so that uh, was taught there in this congregation probably, that there's going to be a soul resurrection, but not going to be a bodily resurrection. How can that be? You know, how, how can we bring about a bodily resurrection? And, and, uh, and then that second, ver- second question is: what kind of body is that gonna be? How can how can a body that's been scattered uh, come back together? How can a body that's been sprawled over the sea come be resurrected? And if it does, what kind of body is it going to uh, bring about? And so that's the thought that caused him to write what he wrote. That said, all right, let me answer those questions. Uh, I'll point it out later again. But he answer- begins answering the second question in verse forty-two. But right now, he's going to begin answering that uh, first question. And so in verse 36, he begins his answers. Uh, you fool, that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. That sounds like a real strong rebuke. Uh, but uh, the word he uses there, you fool, is not the same word that is used in Matthew 5, where Jesus said, don't call anybody a fool. It's a different word. It's... Uh, it's, it's similar in terms of you're unwise, you don't know, but uh, it's not as sharp a rebuke as we might uh, first think uh, that it sounds like. But he begins uh, uh, answering that question. And notice he makes an interesting statement uh, That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Jesus in John 12 used that same principle with regard to himself. In essence, he said, I've got to die in order to bring life about. And so that's the basic thing here. You've got to die, and therefore, and then you can uh, be raised. kind of seems like obvious thing, but he makes that statement. And now then in verse uh, 37... Uh, and that which you sow, you do not sow the body, which is to be, but a bare grain, uh, perhaps of wheat or of something else. Uh, but that which you sow, you do not sow the body. First off, the word body is a key word in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians. I teach Acts so much about say Acts. But... Uh, uh, he, the word body is a key word all through the book of 1 Corinthians. And it's used in at least six different ways. And so you simply have to look at the, uh, at the context of it. What are we talking about? When he talks about this body of a, uh, of a seed, he's simply talking about this plant. You got this corn seed, this wheat seed. Uh, that's the body he's talking about in that, in that particular context. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be. You know, you plant these, these corn seeds. What you're going to get is looks just like what you planted. But I'll guarantee you, you don't get the same seed back. And that's his point here. We're going to be, we're going to, whatever comes out of this resurrection, whatever is the resurrection body is going to look like, it's going to look like what went into the grave. Now, that scares some of us by the way we look. Uh, And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But uh, but the point, and he hints at it right here. What's the resurrected body going to look like? It's going to look like what went into the grave. Don't let it scare you. I think there's an improvement on some of us. And uh, maybe maybe that improvement will help us. Uh, But that's the point he's going to make right here. Then verse 38 But God gives it a body, just as He wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. But God gives it a body. He's not talking about our body. Now, God can do that, and God will give us a body. But in this context, He's not talking about our body. He's talking about the body or that seed, whatever kind of seed. If you plant a wheat seed, you're going to get wheat seed. If you plant a corn seed, you're going to get corn seed. And so he see, notice what he says. Uh, but God gives it a body just as he wishes, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. And then, now then, following uh, first off, in, beginning in verse 38, he gives three illustrations. And the three illustrations are going to basically say God is powerful enough to bring about this situation. I may not understand it, These folks may not understand it. You may not understand it. But he says, I want you to know first off, God knows and and he has the power to do it. This first illustration is the seed situation. And we can understand that. that We may not fully understand how it happens. But we understand that when we harvest something, it's going to look just like what we planted. And that's going to be a big part of our resurrection. We'll come down to that uh, in a little bit and talk about it second illustration he gives, you see, is all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, and another flesh of birds, and another of fish. So his second thing is, not only does it work in the seed them, but also still in nature, in animals. You have different kinds of flesh. His point's going to be, we're planted as one thing, But we're going to come back as something else. He has the ability to create a body that functions in this world and a body that will function in the next world. Whatever it takes to function in the next world, God is able to do it. There's not all flesh the same. Well, the body we put into the grave has some limitations. And the body that comes up out of the grave from the resurrection is going to be different. Third illustration. "...there are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory." Now then, verse 42 is his application. "...so also," or some versions have, "...so then," so here's his application." And he says, I've given you these three illustrations. Now then let me give you the application of it. So then, or so also, is the resurrection of the dead. And now then he's going to talk about this comparison. He said, I've given you these three illustrations. Now here's the application of it. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. I'm going to stop there for a moment. Notice the contrast in all of those. That which is put in the grave is negative, in the sense that it had problems. And so he describes those problems when he said it is sown in... uh, uh, a perishable body. The fact that it died shows it's perishable. But it's going to be raised and imperishable. What comes up out of the grave is not going to die again. It, and uh, then he says also, uh, it is sown in dishonor. Dishonor in the sense that cancer ate me up. Dishonor in that something weakened my body. Something destroyed me. But it's going to be raised in honor or glory it is sown in weakness something weak about it and could not keep it going on living and so it's going to be weak but it's going to be raised in power now first off we mentioned the word body is an important word this is an unscientific survey i believe that when we hear the word body we think of this flesh and blood that just kind of comes to our minds. Well, we need to understand there are different kinds of bodies. And that's what he's been illustrating with regard to the sun, moon, and stars, the fish and the animals. There are different kinds of bodies. And so his point is, there is a body that goes into the grave, but there's a different body that's going to come up. One commentator said it's, a different, it's same in structure, different in texture. We'll come back and talk about that in a minute. But the point is... Don't let the word body scare you off. Don't let the word body jump to your preconceived idea. There's a different kind of body. You stop and think about what he said with regard to that. Think about the number of people with deformities who are going to be laid in the grave. I don't believe they're going to be raised with a deformity because he said they're sown in weakness, but they're going to be raised in power. Think of about the people who've been mentally off. And uh, they're not going to be that way in eternity. There are a lot of weaknesses. And just because, and by saying the fact that the body that goes into the grave is the body that comes up out of it, is not saying we're going to carry with it all the same weaknesses. We're going to talk about what the difference is in a little bit. If you'll stop that clock over there. Uh, and so... Uh, there's a lot to be said. Uh, we, we, we will not continue in our weakened state. We will not continue with our uh, disabilities, whether mental or physical. We're going to be raised in power and glory. I don't know just what we'll look like, and I don't know all things. Here's another thought for us to mull on, uh, and I realize it's sometimes possible to dig up more snakes than you can kill. Uh, here's a question. Maybe we don't know how to answer. But what about the fetuses that have been aborted? What are they going to look like? Uh, what are they going to? You know, we've had over a million a year since 1973. Heaven's going to be filled, maybe with more fetuses than us. But uh, what are they going to be a fetus? I don't think so. But that's what he's talking about. We're going to be sown that way. Then notice also in verse 44, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is a spiritual body. Here again, don't let the word spiritual fool you. You know, spiritual says, that's Casper the ghost. And it's just going to be ghosts floating around here somewhere. No, that's not what the word spiritual means there. The idea is going to be there's going to be this natural body that's earthy, and we're going to see that word in a minute, and there's going to be a a body fit for the next realm, which is the spiritual realm. But it doesn't necessarily mean it is a ghost kind of body, natural and spiritual. Then he goes on to say, However, no, Skip the verse. Verse 45. So also it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The first Adam became a, life, uh, a living soul. That's quotation from Genesis 2, 7 that says, And God formed man to the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now the life-giving spirit is... Jesus Christ, this second Adam. He has the power to give life. And that's going to be the idea that the resurrection. He has the power to give life. Physical life, spiritual life. He can take this body that was in the grave and He can breathe into it spiritual life that will come forth and function in that spiritual realm, in that hereafter, whatever it might be like. And we're going to talk about that if i got enough time. And then... He said something obvious. Verse 46, however, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. He's simply saying, and it's logical, you gotta have this physical body first, but it's gonna go in the grave. And then the second thing is you'll have the spiritual body. So you got the natural first, and God made us this body. He gave us this body. The psalmist said, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. We're made to function in this area. We can function as God wants us to function in this realm. But he also is going to make us so that we can function in the next realm too. And we'll see some differences in this body and in that body. And so he says, uh, first got to have this natural body, and then you're going to have that spiritual body. And then he uh, sp- Continues that thought in verse 47. The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. Again, he's pointing out these two things. He makes it with uh, the uh, two comparisons. He's still comparing Adam. Adam came from the earth. Where did Jesus over and over say he was from? Heaven. And so that's his point here. And we're going to come back to Adam in a few minutes. But the first Adam was earthy. The second Adam is heavenly. What's he doing? If he is heavenly, we're going to be heavenly like him. We're going to have the same characteristics and body that he has just as uh, when he came forth from the resurrection, we'll have that same idea and power. Then verse 48, As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly so also are those who are heavenly. And so he simply contrasted. Notice the verb are. That tells us he's talking about this general resurrection. Not just his resurrection, but our plural resurrection. He's talking about the general resurrection that is going to take place. And so he then says in verse 49 as he closes it out, Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. A couple of passages that I throw in here from other sources. In Philippians 3.20, he said, Our citizenship is, uh, our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we look for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile bodies and fashion them like unto His glorious body. Now notice what he said there. He called this body... Uh, this vain thing this, He's going to change our vile bodies Into that which is glorious What a great thought that is Whatever Christ's body is That's what ours is going to be Isn't that, Doesn't that give us hope? Doesn't that tell us what, something about what it's going to be like? We may not fully understand the situation But we do know our body is going to be like His body 1 John 3, 1 and 2. First off, verse 1 of chapter 3 says, Behold, what kind of love the Father has flowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. That's a King James, but your American standard reads about the same. But he says, God hath loves us. We are his beloved. And then verse 2, what did he say? It doth not yet appear what he shall be, what we shall be, but we know that we'll see him as he is, for we'll be like him. There's another statement that says whatever Christ's resurrection body was like will be like that also. It doth not yet appear what we shall be but we know that when He appears we shall be like Him but we shall see Him as He is. Think about Jesus Christ and uh, His body. He said we'll have the same thing. Let's for the next few minutes talk about some applications of this maybe some implications of it as we stop and look at it. Uh, First off, uh, as we've said, our resurrection is going to be like Jesus' resurrection. We're going to be like Him. They put Jesus' body in the grave, and Jesus' body came out of the grave. Now, He came out of the grave... Even to the point that he said, you can feel your, where the sword the spear went in right here. Uh, you can touch my hands and see the scars of where the nails were. Does that mean we'll come out with our imperfections? I don't think so. I think that was just simply Jesus saying, let me give you the proof that I am the guy who went in the jail, in the, in the grave, and I'm the same guy that was there, and i am come, come out of it. If you don't believe it, here, feel my hands. I don't think that indicates we'll have our scars with us in the physical realm. But there was some, something different about Jesus. You know, uh, first off, Jesus was resurrected. Oh, what a great thought. Look at verses 20 through 22 in this chapter. And I think we see another evidence that we're going to be like Jesus. Verse 20. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ will all be made alive. Now here's the point we're going to look at. Well, let's look at verse 23. But each of us in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. After that, those who are Christ at his coming. He said Jesus was the firstfruits. That's a farming term. In Exodus 16 and Leviticus 2, we read about their firstfruits. They would go out when the harvest came in. When the crops came in, they would go out and harvest it. And then a little later, they go back with the second harvest and harvest it. What did the second har- How did the second harvest look compared to the first fruits? The same. If they went out there and harvest the corn the first time, and then they went back a few weeks later, a few days later, and harvest the second corn, what's it going to look like, just like the first fruits? Now what's the application? Christ is the first fruits. You and I are the second fruits. What does that tell us? Whatever Christ, was, whatever Christ was, that's what we're going to be. We're the second fruits. He was the first fruits. And so what He is and how He was resurrected is the same thing that we will have and that we will be. I'd like to also mention something else here. Christ was resurrected listen carefully he was not resuscitated that's a, you didn't know i even knew that big word did you <laughs> a resuscitation is when you bring back somebody from the dead and they're just like it or bring them back from near death jesus raised several people from the dead but in reality it really wasn't a resurrection it was a resuscitation when he brought Lazarus back to dead, back from the dead, he resuscitated him. Lazarus still had his same weaknesses. Lazarus was still going to have to die again. Jesus was not resuscitated. He was resurrected. When you and I come to that great general resurrection, we're not going to just be resuscitated and brought back to life just like our, our former life. We're going to be different. Think about the differences in Jesus' resurrection when he came forth from the grave. You remember on that resurrection day, first off, uh, Mary Magdalene grabbed hold of him. He could be touched and handled. Uh, that's what he told him in the room in John 20. Uh, Thomas said, I, I, I won't believe it until I can touch There it is, touch it. So the body that he came forth from is not cast for the ghost. It's not something that's just a spiritual being that you can't see. It's a physical, and that word scares me, but that's the only word I know to use. It's a physical body that he came back in. It could be touched and handled. That's what we're going to be. I think there are three, maybe four, special ways in which... Jesus was different. I don't think when he came from the fourth from the grave that he was limited by space and time and material barriers. He was not limited by space, time, and physical barriers. You remember on that first day when he's there late in the afternoon, There are two disciples walking to Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears with them. Where did he come from? He just appeared. And then after he ate with them, he left and immediately appeared, it seems, in the upper room where the disciples were. And they didn't open the door and come in. He didn't even knock and ask them to come open the door. He just came through the door or the wall. He's not limited by physical barriers. He's not limited by the time it would take to walk seven miles back to Jerusalem. He's not limited by time or space or physical barriers. I believe we'll be that same way. Another difference that we see that is interesting, Jesus on at least two occasions, ate with these disciples. You know, he asked, do you have any bread I can eat, or a fish? It's not I can eat. Uh, then in John 20, that's John 20, even in Luke 24, John 21, he has breakfast fixed for these folks. I don't think he had done his biscuits and gravy, but uh, he had fish for them, and they were grilling there. Now here's the question. Why did he eat with those folks? I think, again, to prove I am here, I am alive, you are not hallucinating, you are not seeing some ghost, I can eat, I can be touched, I can feel, here I am. Now, the question that would be asked would be, did he have to eat to sustain life while he was on the earth 40 days after his resurrection? I don't think so. But that might be Burger 3 too. Uh, But uh, uh, we have no record that he had to eat. You know, that's interesting because he's compared to be the first Adam. When Adam was in the Garden of Eden, did he have to eat to live in that garden before he sinned? Well, I don't know. There was a tree of life that he would eat from to maintain his life. You know, it is interesting in Genesis 3-2 uh, that it says in uh, another verse, I'll think about it, 24, I think. You may eat from the tre- all the trees that are in the garden. Notice that word may. You don't have to eat. Did Adam have to eat to sustain life? If so, why did he have to eat of this tree of life? Why was the tree of life there for? You see, he would eat constantly of the tree of life to maintain his life. I don't know that he had to eat from all the trees in the garden to sustain life. Did Jesus have to eat during the 40 days? I don't know. I don't think so. Brings up another interesting point. Twice in the scriptures, our afterlife speaks of us eating. In Revelation 19, 7 through 10... It says, we will eat there at the marriage supper of the Lamb. You see, in biblical times, when couples got married, they were engaged for a year, and then when the the groom went over there and got his bride, he took him to his house, and they had a week's festival of eating. You and I are not married to Christ yet. We're only engaged to Him. We're betrothed to Him. But when the marriage day comes, we'll sit down and eat with him at the marriage table. Revelation 19, 7 through 10. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 8, 11, He said, uh, people will come from the east and the west and will sit recline at the table and eat with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In the afterlife. Are we going to eat in the afterlife? The better question is, are we going to have to eat in the afterlife? Or is it simply a privilege we can have that we can enjoy but we don't have to do it? And I'll say it again. I'm bringing up a lot of questions. I know it's possible to dig up more snakes than you can kill. I've got more questions that have answers. But think about those things. It is interesting to stop and think about uh, those situations and what, uh, what, what was happened along that. In summary, Jesus had a body. He was not contained by time or space or barriers. He could come and go. He did eat, but I don't know if he had to eat. He could be touched and felt of to prove that he was a body. And what we've looked at is Jesus was whatever Jesus was going to be, that's what we're going to have in our resurrected body. Amen. We may not fully understand all of that, but it gives us something to think about. The question naturally comes up then is, where are we going to do this? Where do we go in the afterlife? It seems there are two popular views today, or two views about that. One is found in 2 Peter 3, 9 and 10, where that there will be new heavens and a new earth. Not this earth, this in that same context, the earth, this earth's gonna be burned up and all everything in it. But the Bible speaks about a new heaven and a new earth, and that's where we're gonna be. Some folks think we're coming back on this earth. That kind of body that we have that Jesus had would fit on that kind of earth. The other view is found basically in 1 Thessalonians 4, where he says, We'll rise and meet him in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So the other view is, we're going to be in the realm of air, uh, of air the rest of our time. So there's two choices that are, that are possible out there that are kind of popular today. I'll close with the idea that says, does it really matter? <laughs> I don't care where it is. I want to be there. <laughs> I don't care if it's a new heaven and new earth or if in in heaven, if he's got this place he's going to go build for us. It doesn't, does it really matter? No, sir. Second question about that is, do we have to understand all the promises of God to be rewarded by God? You know, a person says, I've got a belief that we're going to all be in the air. And we get up there in the day of judgment, the Lord says, "Nope, we're going to be on earth. Sorry, you can't come. Because you got the wrong view. Does that make sense? What about those folks who have different views about how the Holy Spirit dwells in us? Do we have to understand how the Holy Spirit dwells in us or we can't go to heaven? Do we have to understand... That heaven is the place or that uh, there are degrees of heaven or degrees of hell? What if we got that wrong? We get up there and he says, Sorry, you don't understand the hell, degrees of hell or the rewards of heaven. You can't make it. You see, my point is, I believe, and again, I don't mind quoting Berger 3.2, when promises of God cannot be test of fellowship. Promises that God makes cannot be a salvation issue. And we as a brotherhood shouldn't make it that way. We should not divide over those things that God has promised. I may not fully understand. I know I don't fully understand all He's promised. But I don't believe I'm not going to get to enjoy them because I can't explain them. So let's take that attitude and understand that says, Look. We can figure it out, what we believe and what we think. But when it comes to really maybe even our kind of body we'll have, I may not fully understand it. When it comes to where we're going, I may not fully understand it. But I'm not going to bind on you, my view. And I don't want you to bind on me, your view. And I don't want this half the congregation to be divided from this half the congregation because we differ over those things. Those are some rewards that we can look forward to that God will bless us. Uh, Whatever I believe about those things doesn't change what God's going to do. Whatever's going to happen is not going to change because I get it wrong. God knows what He's going to do, and He's going to do that no matter what you or I believe about it. I'll close with the same thing I started with. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to God, And the things that are revealed belong to us. There are lots of things about the resurrected body that I probably don't know. I personally don't think there's much in the Bible about it. Uh, The strongest thing I think is we're going to be like Jesus. And I may not understand that. If you've got some insights on these things and you can give me some passages, I'm ready to be taught. I'm willing to be taught. Come show me what the Bible says about the resurrected body. Otherwise, let's simply have that as our hope that says that's the reason we're going to live faithfully is because of what God, what Christ has done for us and what Christ has to reward for us. Thank you for listening so well.